are 4-1 since we last recorded. They've won three in a row, eight of the last nine. By all accounts, things are going very well. And there's only one thing to do when things are going well. It's time to nitpick, baby. (laughs) But uh, first, one of our own was in the building Friday night against the Flames. Keith, uh, I'm sure it was cool just to get back to a big event like that period after the last couple of years. But um, a little extra special when you get to see Austin Matthews cross over right in front of your face and rip one bar down. In overtime, yeah, it was a, not barred down. Overtime. I guess it was more. Of a, what was a five hole? I guess, but it looked like it was, was going to be like a weird. Down. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was pretty sweet. I mean, I this is obviously my first time going anywhere post pandemic, so definitely like a weird experience traveling and stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, we we were really fortunate. Um, I went. My wife and I went with our our good friends and. Uh, my uh, friend's sister lives in Toronto and happens to be dating uh, a gentleman that works for the Leafs. So we got some great tickets, um, just all around really, really good night that in that way. We, uh, we were sitting down in the corner a little bit more um, in a different spot than my, my two friends. And then they let us know in the first intermission that there's two seats directly in front of them. And they were more like right on the blue line. So it just happened to be just even better spot seats. But we were down, I think, like 20 rows off the glass, which I historically, whenever I've gone to Leafs games, have been up in the like either in the standing room up at the top or like maybe in, you know, a seat that's four or five rows from the top or something like that. And it's usually like 300 and some bucks for that. So we, we were really fortunate uh, to, to get those seats and had an absolute blast. And, and the game, like, it was really funny. My friend's not a massive hockey fan. Like he, he's a, you know, he played, I grew up playing hockey with him. He just doesn't like, you know, follow it the same way that we would. And it was, it was his first NHL game. And I kept telling him, you know, how fast it was when you get down that close to it and all that. And he actually had a really like insightful point too, which for somebody that doesn't watch a lot of hockey, he was like, yeah, it was fast. He's like, but it was more fast about how quick things happen, like decision-making and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, exactly. Cause he, he was saying, you know, somebody hangs onto the puck a half second longer than they should. It blows the play up and just stuff that you know, was interesting hearing from a guy who doesn't really follow hockey, but it was, it was a blast. Um, couldn't have been better. I was saying to Nick before we went on, like maybe not, maybe like a six, one blowout where it was just point night for everybody. And you got to see a bunch of highlight real goals, but from like, uh, you know, just talking about the dramatic kind of unfolding of events of going down a goal early in, or, you know, in the middle of the third period or whatever it was to come in from behind to the overtime winner and all that stuff. It was, it was perfect. It was, it was an awesome night. And you know, this is, we, we kind of joked about this previously, but like it, it is a tough thing when, when you're going from the East coast and in, like, you don't get to a lot of games. Like you said, it's your first time for your buddy, Nick, you haven't been to a game, uh, an NHL game live and you kind of got to live vicariously a little bit. Yeah. It was just a, a lot of fun to, kind of just experience that through the lens of Keith kind of sharing his experience with us in real time and for him to be able to see such an outstanding game it was back and forth all night great goaltending and you know the the big gun wins it in overtime right in front of you can't ask for more I was just really happy that Keith got to experience that and it was a lot of fun to to experience it with him kind of as a a bystander it's funny like i mentioned i i went i so i went with three people who don't necessarily like 
you know, follow or really, you know, watch any hockey that much. So it wasn't, you know, I was, I was definitely the one that, uh, was, was the most excited to be there, but also, Oh, we've got footage all, that proves that. Yeah. <laughs> but also all day, the leading up to events where people are like, Oh, you know, let's walk here and then we'll walk to this place and then we'll have enough time. We should get back to our Airbnb by like, well, the game's at seven. We'll be back to the Airbnb by like quarter <laughs> after six, grab some to eat. We should be, I'm like, yeah and then like, <laughs> talking, and i was like well we could we could just wait and do kensington market tomorrow um you know we then we won't be rushed and we should probably try to get it like i'm trying to like be laying the uh the you know setting the table a little bit that i'm like i want to be there like an hour early and i i will give scotia bank arena a lot of credit for just like the vaccination check stuff super efficient and fast and like i was kind of concerned we went to eat we got to the restaurant at like 10 after six which was a lot or sorry at 10 after five which was a little alarming because kind of want again i wanted to be in the rink by six and uh food took a while to get there i was getting a little squirrely at the table and then <laughs> we ate really fast and ran we got into the lineup to get in like pretty much at, like probably it was probably like 10 after six and uh, we were in the building at six fifteen. It was it was incredible how fast it was. So uh, kudos to to the staff there for for not making a what I thought was going to be a really painful process. Uh, it, it was pretty easy. Yeah, um, we, we were definitely getting some like we, I, I could <laughs> I could feel the nervous energy coming through with some of the like you just send a photo of of your appetizer like this just came <laughs> and it was like it was like oh no that's not good this is this is too this is too tight it's way too quick <laughs> yeah. Um, but, Chief Hustle and his wife through supper, <laughs> <laughs> and, and um, the the game itself obviously a lot of fun. You you kind of um, I mean you, you get so many moments that you just don't like watching the broadcast, right? Like you get to you get to see everything unfold and like even stuff that happens off you know during breaks and stuff. Like didn't you see like a little sparring match that that happened that yeah. you didn't, that didn't end up on the broadcast? It was fucking awesome. So. Uh, it was in the like attacking zone, so it was in front of Vladar and uh, Spezza. I mean, he didn't. It wasn't a late whack or anything like that, but it was. Uh, he was just coming in hard on on uh, like trying puck got covered right at the last second kind of thing, and he pulled up and he didn't. You know, he didn't hit his glove. He didn't snow him or anything like that. But like Kachuk skated by and gave him a shot in the back of the legs. Spezza turned around, slashed him in the top of the laces, and they went like like shin slash for shin slash probably about five each and the ref was just standing there watching it and he was basically saying like if you do any more than this you're gonna go but i'm gonna let you guys do this until you get tired and i've never seen I, i've watched a lot of hockey in my life i've never seen that many slashes back and forth and no like that was it they're just little dead locks staring each other in the eyes slashing each other in the shins back and forth and then while that happened uh simmons grabbed somebody i don't remember who it was and just kind of wrestled them but yeah, I was texting you guys. Did you see that? And they're like, "No, it's in the commercial." Right now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, glad glad you had a good game, pal. That was that's uh, we like I, I I have a kind of a running list of games I've been to. I've been like a half a dozen games. I've seen a few wins, like I've seen a points night, but uh, OT. I haven't seen an OT game yet, so that's that's fun. Um, yeah, my last one was an OT, but it was uh, the Senators won in a shootout, which was a. And it was a, just a snooze fest game, so this was this was a lot better. Yeah, and the Hall of Fame game too, which is cool, right? Which like, I didn't know until an hour before the game, <laughs> yeah. or, or something like that. My buddy from St. John texted me; he was a huge fan, and he was just like, "Man, what a great game to go to! You're going to see Aginla and all this stuff." I was like, "What?" And then I didn't—I had no clue. 
so that, yeah that was an added bonus for sure yeah, that's awesome we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little more about the hall of fame um inductees a little later i it's funny like a little symmetry like i think i've mentioned before the last game i went to was in calgary and it was like the next home game for the flames after they retired a gimla's number and then you were at this one so i mean we were both cursed with having to watch the flames play live but still cool <laughs> circumstances nonetheless yeah yeah <laughs> um so yeah as as i kind of said off the top leafs have been good of late um some shuffling around with the lines that that I wanted to get into a little bit. Um, and I guess that the the notable thing has been like, you know, Mariners back up with Matthews on the top line, which, you know, I think when you have guys that, that are this skilled, I think of this is the way to go is to kind of shuffle them around and try to make sure that everyone's going. And, and, you know, I don't think that you need to find lines and stick with them. I think that when you have this much talent, it's a good thing to, to move them around and kind of play them off each other. But the one thing that's driving me nuts, how many chances are we given Nick Ritchie? Cause I am just about done with this, this experiment. Like you want to talk about a guy who needs to show something other than just like a flash here and there. Um, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not digging the Nick Ritchie, uh, experiment so far and he's back up on the on the top line as of monday's practice yeah well one thing i will say is that i think you know even despite his lack of production nick ritchie as well as austin matthews and mitch mariner are all playing better hockey than they were when they were first playing together early in the seasons you know the the team was kind of a train wreck on the whole in the early part of the season so I, I I don't mind going back to that look now that everyone's kind of in a better place and seeing if there's something there. It's clear the organization really wants to try and get something out of Nick Ritchie. He, he's part of that middle class. He doesn't make a lot of money, but $2.5 million a year on the Leafs it puts you into that middle class kind of. And he's signed for next year as well, so... There is a bit of an obligation, I think, to try and make it work with him. Um, he's He's been better as of late. He's generated some chances. I, I think he's been a little bit snake-bitten, but there are a lot of aspects of his game that are very frustrating to watch, and his lack of foot speed is definitely a concern. Um, I, I think the the more curious thing about the, the changes to the lines in practice on Monday was moving Mariner back uh, up with Matthews and away from Tavares with not so much because of how Matthews and Nylander have been playing together, but the way that Tavares and Mariner have kind of rekindled the chemistry that they had in Tavares' first season here. I think that uh, Tavares has been playing some of his best hockey that we've seen in the last couple of years as of late. And it is strange to kind of be tinkering with the lines when the team has won eight of nine games. But we saw last year when push came to shove and things weren't working, they didn't really know where to turn because they hadn't really looked at anything else through the course of the season. So, you know, it's November. The team is doing well. They're in a good place standings-wise. I think it's perfectly fine to be kind of experimenting with different things up front and on the blue line as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that in the sense that I think, I like, or, uh, sorry, Cammy said, you know, you got to see more than just flashes from him. But I think at this point you're kind of like, hanging on to those flashes right now. Like that's, that's kind of a good thing for Richie at this point. So maybe trying to strike a little bit while, while the iron's hot or whatever, um, that kind of makes sense to me. And the other thing is just similar to, I think it was l- like early last year when 
Dermot was playing pretty well, you know, but they wanted to, to get uh, Letton into the lineup and they, they scratched Dermot and, you know, kind of made a point to say that it, it wasn't anything that he was doing wrong that, that Cena moved down and ultimately out of the lineup. Uh, similar to kind of bunting. I saw some some people a little kind of peeve that he's on the fourth line in practice right now. I don't see that as like a demotion. I see that as a he's trusted and viewed as a pretty versatile player right now and you kind of know what you're going to get out of him and you know you can go back to him in the top six and, and you know, be good with it. So whether, you know, I could see in the second period tomorrow night Bunting's back in the top six if the Richie thing's not working out. So I don't see that as like an indictment of, of Bunting's play, obviously, at all. He's He's been as advertised, I guess, which is weird when considering the guy doesn't have a lot to go off of. But um, yeah, I mean, R- Richie, I don't know. He, he would just be such a perfect player for the Leafs if he could play to what he was kind of supposed to be or, or at least what he's, you know, you've seen in flashes, especially, you know, a guy who scored like, what was it, 15 goals last year in a shortened season and bringing that physical element. But right now you, you just haven't seen it. Um, but I will say like he, he's gotten chances lately. He's got a, a couple of kind of point blank, you know, slot shots that were had some good saves and stuff like that. So maybe try to just milk a little bit more out of this and get them with two guys that are that are playing really well. But I don't see the leash being very long. Yeah, I don't think the leash will be very long either. But the one thing that we're not mentioning here is that the fact of the matter is the Leafs are really thin at, on the left side up front. So it's not as if there's a, a wealth of options outside of Nick Ritchie in, to try in the top six right now. I don't think that any of us really want to see Pierre Engvall there. Um, it, I don't think that you really want to break up Kasha and Camp permanently w- no. with the way that they've been able to tilt the ice in a really you know heavy defensive role. So right now, I think the best thing to do is kind of experiment with Richie and Bunting and Kerfoot up there as you await the return of Ilya Mikheyev and perhaps eventually Nick Robertson. And for a guy who's historically, you know, has some hands and can kind of finish, um, you know, lowest PDO on the team right now. So, I mean, is he due for a bit of a correction? I'd say probably, but I don't. You know, this is a situation where if you just look at those types of predictive numbers and just say he's going to bounce back, and then you look at him just laying a turd on the ice most nights, it's kind of hard to justify that. But I don't know. I I, I could see, I can see, understand the logic behind it, but again, don't see it lasting very long if he doesn't kind of pot a few. Yeah, and that's I think what it comes down to, right? And that's ultimately why I kind of thought that Kasha might settle in up there. And obviously, you've liked that third line with Kasha, but. Um, you know, he's got a little goal scoring streak and, you know, Richie has gotten those looks and he hasn't finished them and he's not doing a whole lot when he's not scoring or, you know, chipping in there. So I think that's probably why they want to put him in a position where he might have a better chance at scoring because he's not giving them anything else, Yeah, you know, and and that's why I think that the next step is out of the lineup because, you know, bunting is you can slide him back on the fourth line because you know that he fits in the fourth line and Richie's shown that like, that's not his game. Like he's, you know, it's a consistency thing and it's sometimes an effort thing. And, and, um, you know, I, I just think that the, yeah, the, the, the leash is shortening probably and, and well-deserved so far, but, um, you know, hopefully he'll pot a couple. He looked obviously good in the preseason and, and he's got some skill there, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you're on a team of guys who kind of have a, uh, like you can't be the guy who's like, you know, on the second or third 
tier of skill level, but still has the same like consistency issues and the same like problem getting going as some of the top guys. Like they can they can do that. You can. Yeah, you've got to be bringing something to the lineup every night if you're going to play a depth role on this team. It doesn't have to be goal scoring. You don't have to be setting up fantastic scoring chances every night, but you've got to be contributing defensively or on the forecheck. You know, playing a physical game. And while he does that, it's been in spurts and, and it hasn't been consistent. And that's what kind of bugs you, right? Because I think when you're getting a guy like that and you look around the league and you're like, okay, like you, you think of like a Barkley Goodrow or, a, you know, he's not as good, but like a Tom Wilson or something to that extent where it's like a big physical dude that, yeah, even if he's not on the score sheet for four or five games in a row, he's going to bring energy and just throw his body around and, you know, do that kind of, the kind of stuff that, you don't necessarily have to have a ton of skill and have pucks bouncing your way to, to be impactful. And I think that's another thing that's kind of annoying is that I think we maybe thought that that was going to be an element of his game. And I, I don't really he see doesn't that. Have that kind of motor at all. No, no. And, and that's frankly why, like Nick, you said, I don't think we will all, any of us want to see Pierre Engvall there. And that's mostly true, but like, at least I know what I'm getting. At least I know that he's going to be the first guy in the four check and he's going to, you know, he, he gives you a consistent, effort every night even if he doesn't got a whole lot going on up you know between the ears neither does Nick Ritchie I don't think so it's um it's kind of gotten to that point for me where you know and and we talk about Nylander right like like Sheldon Keefe talked about the the things that uh, Nylander has been improving in his game and finding that consistency a little bit and and how he's trying to stay motivated and, and you know it's it's one thing to like um, kind of, you know, have those off shifts when, you know, the other shifts, you're one of the best puck handling, like transition players in the league every single night. And it's another thing when, you know, your your best shifts, you're just kind of getting a good look and still getting stopped or putting it wide or whatever, which is what Richie's been doing. And then all the inconsistencies to still go with it. And, you know, Nylander certainly takes lots of flack for for the inconsistencies and that's because he stands out so much when he's on but but you know the the Richie thing is yeah not not working out for me so far um but i mean you know you got time to figure it out it's again you you have a lot of skill you want to shift things around and you know figure out what works ideally before the trade deadline and figure out what you need to sort out and that kind of brings me to another um you know, thing we wanted to touch on, which was the blue line. And there's been a lot of movement on, you know, the, the defensive end with uh, Lilligren now the next to, to come out after, you know, Dermot and Hall and Sandine have all taken their turns sitting. And I, I think that this is a good thing, generally speaking, to have depth and to be have guys that you can kind of rotate in and out. And, you know, hopefully they'll all be clipping along when, when the time comes, when, you know, you get into the stretch run and you need a lot of depth, but there is a part of me that kind of is wondering, like, what are we doing with, you know, the in and out? And do we actually have the answer in the middle of the lineup? Because you've got struggles going on with Muzzin and Brody, who have been a little better lately. But um, like, I guess what I'm getting at is like, is this ultimately going to be a ship out for a package upgrade or one of these guys gets shipped out and you, you go and try to make a move for a rental defenseman because like I, I'm seeing, you know, you've got your kind of clear top three guys. You've got your bottom pair that's been working out nicely with, with whoever is on it. But um, it, like Travis Dermott is kind of getting gotten past the point of being that 
you know, third pairing sheltered guy, like he, he's kind of got to make that leap to, to being the top four or, or Hall has to get back to being the, the in the top four consistently, or, or you feels like you've got a bit of a hole there that, that needs to be addressed if you want to be a, a serious contender, or am I completely off base on this? What, what are your thoughts on kind of the, the blue line rotation right now? Well, I think that's probably the the biggest reason that they're continuing to to work the rotation at this point in the season it people are kind of up in arms about it but the whole point of doing it now is so that they know what they need when the trade deadline rolls around and they know what they want to roll out when the games really matter this is all a part of figuring out what the optimal setup is going to be not just on the back end but up front as well so this is the time to kind of get all these different looks. You put these guys in different situations. Dermot has been given a chance to play a bit higher in the lineup. I don't think that he has seized that the way that, that any of us would have hoped or maybe even expected him to. Uh, I think he's probably struggled a, a little bit since being elevated in the lineup and playing alongside Riley. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the flip side of this. I think that this coming in and out of the lineup can be tough on these guys you get rolling a little bit and you're feeling good about your game and you're just taken out not for any fault of your own, but just because it's time for another guy to get his minutes. So I think it's an interesting question, um, whether it's, you know, the right thing to be doing, but you need to have an idea of what's going to work for you when the games really matter later in the season. So I think putting those guys in different situations, getting looks at different pairings, uh, that's the way to go right now. So you can identify what you might need ahead of the trade deadline. Yeah, it definitely seems like a, a, a you know an acquisition is coming at some point this year on the blue line, just with some of the smoke that's been you know with the the insiders or whatever, and then just with the fact that they haven't really settled on anything yet. Um, I I don't think similar to the bunting thing. Like I don't think Lilligren's done anything to come out of the lineup. Um, I've actually really liked him quite quite a bit. I understand they're playing really sheltered minutes, but this goes back to what we've always said on here is that somebody's got to play those minutes. And I'd rather it be, you know, a high ceiling younger defenseman or two of them in this situation, you know, figuring out the league than a guy that's, you know, that is all he can do and you know all he can ever do, which unfortunately is starting to look like is the case with Dermott. Um, and I think it's certainly the case with Hall at this point as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think everybody agrees that if Hall slid down to your third pair, you know, life would be a little easier. But I really like that third pair. Like, I don't I, – I mean, maybe going into the playoffs, that scares a coach a little bit, like having two pretty much rookies as, as a third pair. But, you know, with, with the minutes that, that Riley and, and Brody can log and that Muzzin can play, and then if you can get Muzzin, uh, you know, a, a, a partner that, that – uh, Eases he doesn't his have load to drag around the ice. Yeah, exactly. Because that's all he's ever had in Toronto. Like he's never had. They finally got Riley, you know, a competent partner to play with, and that's great. But Muzzin's never really had that. So that's that's you're right in the sense that that's that's the glaring hole that they have right now. I think we again kind of thought that maybe the third line center would be something that they'd eventually look for, but just with the way they're they're you know deploying that third line and then deploying the fourth line, I, I just don't think that that's a concern to me anymore um you know they Keith's wanted a checking shutdown line since he's got here and he's tried all different types of variations of it it seems like they've hit with something right now I'm sure he he doesn't want Pierre Engvall to be the third leg of that um line 
but out of necessity, it kind of is right now. I, I think we all are pretty excited to see what that line looks like with Mikheyev potentially. But, you know, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if it's so much the like you know getting hall and dermot in right now i guess is it a combination of trying to get them going and is it a combination of trying to showcase them for a trade and which guy can you get more more for right now yeah i think that's definitely an element yeah. to it. And, and i mean like i i just i come back to like why wasn't more of this going on last season when you well know, that, you that's had... the other thing though cam is that this is the f- <laughs> another reason that this might seem so strange and foreign to us is the fact that the Leafs haven't really had the flexibility to have any extra players on their roster for most of the last couple of seasons because of the salary cap. It's only because of, you know, Mrazek and Mikheyev being on long-term injury reserve right now that we even have the ability to, to be shifting guys in and out of the lineup right now. So I, I think that's another reason why it's smart to be kind of taking advantage of it while they can. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, it's just, I guess it's, you know, you, the problem you find now is like, you don't know if, if Dermot is, is suited for a, uh, you know a top four role and you kind of don't know how to how to shuffle things around and and you don't know who works you know well with who because you just you, you stuck with you know what you had last last year and and yes some of it was um you know by necessity but like this is the the situation you find yourself in and you could have probably answered some of these questions last season and instead you just you had the the steady blue line all year while you know you you have to make sure you lock up that north division and it's i'm i guess just a little yeah curious where where it's going to go from here and especially like looking long term it, it it is more and more feeling like, you know, you have your young guys who you want to figure out what they are. And it's, it's feeling more, I guess, like Travis Dermott isn't, isn't a part of that group. The more that Lilligren and Sandine perform well, and it's kind of looking like, you know, the, the clock is running out on, on Dermott and or Hall. Um, and, you know, I, I'm wondering like what, what might, like it, maybe it's a rental this year and then it's something that you have to address in the off season, but it's, it's kind of feeling like you just have that mushy middle right now where you know who your top guys are and you know who your shelter guys are and, and you kind of have to figure out, you know, a body or two in the middle there. Now, I'll say though, one more thing on Dermot and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I definitely, I missed a, I missed some games that, you know, over the last little bit just for with, with, uh, some, some band practice stuff. And then I missed Saturday's game, but I, I'm just before like, like, okay. I don't think, I think we can all kind of agree. Like we all love Morgan Riley, but he might not be the easiest guy in the world to play with. Yeah. And that's primarily who Dermot's had his opportunity with in the top four. So I'm not, you know, I don't think he's had a ton of time with, with Jake Muzzin. So I maybe am not ready to necessarily close the book on Dermot in the top four, maybe just not Dermot and Riley. Like maybe that's, that's where it's at. So like, I didn't, I haven't seen a lot of that. Um, if any, uh, it seemed to be Muzzin and, and Brody together when, when, when the shuffle happened. So I would, you know, I think that's the spot that we kind of projected for Dermot. You know, if he was going to get into last, yeah, be getting the last. Year. If he yeah, was going to be given like, the opportunity my to head, up, that's where it would be. Yeah, if I had to, if I had to pick, you know, uh, right now, you know, which guy to hang on to, I think I, you know, I'd still go for Dermot just for the skill aspect. Like he just, you know, better skater, better, just kind of to me more upside, I guess, but. Well, that, that, that I don't know. It's hard to say. That's why this last little stretch has been kind of frustrating. Like maybe even more so for me because I've been such a, a you know, a Dermot truther, so to speak. 
I, I think that like when he is playing his best hockey, I think that he's capable of a lot more than he's shown in this recent stretch. Like I, I don't think that he has been playing his game at all. I think he's trying to figure out where he kind of stands alongside Morgan Riley. So yeah, I think that's a fair point, Keith, that maybe it's it's something that deserves a little more time, maybe not ready to close the book on him yet, but he, he definitely hasn't grabbed a hold of the opportunity the way that, say, Timothy Lilligan has in his role so far. Yeah, and that's that's kind of more part of the frustration, right? It's like like I've, I've already harped on it about, you know, getting Dermot more of these looks, more of these um, reps up in the top four, like maybe with Muzzin last season, and now it's like, okay, go do it. And if you don't do it, well, yeah. we've got these other guys nipping at your heels. And combined with the fact that, like, the planets have kind of unaligned here a little bit where, you know, you could have pretty confidently thrown Dermot with Muzzin last season and let him learn and let Muzzin bail him out from time to time. And, you know, is Jake Muzzin necessarily that guy now? <laughs> like, is is he – I mean, I know he's still a, a good player and he's, he's – probably going to rebound here a little bit but um I, I just i think that you're probably a little more sketchy about pairing those two together than you would have been last season right so um yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see where it goes but yeah i i think that changes are are coming at some point on the blue line whether it's you know before the trade deadline or certainly on the, in the off season things are uh it, it just it feels like um it's just kind of you know organically gotten to that that point where um, someone's going to be on the move. Um, I don't know if anyone did a like that, uh, you know, how it started, how it's going meme with um, Joseph Wall's mother, but they really uh-huh. should have uh, uh-huh. the, the 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 shot of her before the game just beaming, ready for her her boy's first start in the NHL, and then the shot with whatever it was five ten minutes left in the game, and she's like, "These fucking guys are ruining it for my boy," and like the I mean, it, it was it just looked like it was gonna fall apart there for a little bit, but uh, nice to see him get his first win. Yeah, and like to your point, that's definitely the kind of game that has gotten away from the Leafs in that situation a lot in the in the last few years um i i felt bad for wall and his mom because i thought that he actually had a pretty solid game for the most part until i'd say that fourth goal is definitely one he'd like back you know kind of swimming around a bit didn't know where his stick was uh, a point shot that just kind of went right through him but you know the first one is a funny bounce off the end boards that lands right on jeff skinner's stick with a gaping cage in front of him uh, second one was a really nice shot by Tage Thompson, a, a blast from the high slot. And the third one was a, a poor play by Dermot in the corner to give it away. And I, I forget who it was that scored it, but he was left all alone in front. Uh, e- Skinner again, I think. Okay, yeah. Uh, easy tap in anyway. So I, I don't think that you could really fault Joseph Wall on any of those first three. You might have liked the, the fourth one back. But I, I thought he was he was mostly solid. Um, the, the numbers weren't the prettiest or anything like that. But uh, the, the most important number was getting the win, uh, the first one there. And I, I think uh, it's a positive sign for the Leafs to even have a young goalie that they can kind of even turn to as a, a potential option. It's no secret the Leafs have had a lot of trouble uh, drafting and developing goaltenders pretty much for their entire existence. So, it, well, m- modern existence anyway. So, if, you know, a long way to go. It'll be interesting to see if he gets to to stick around and make another start before Mraza comes back. What would you do um, 
this weekend? You got a back to back. Go to him. Go to who? It's an interesting question. Uh, I say go uh, to him because I didn't get to watch the game. So <laughs> I, I, I would. Like yeah, to it see was. Him play. It was exciting to get to see a, a rookie goaltender that the team has drafted and developed over the last few years. It, it is fun to get to see those guys get their chance. Um, I, I. It's a good question. I thought it was curious in the first place that the start wasn't given to Hutchison, like that he wasn't the guy that got the call up. Um, but it, it seems kind of clear that the team's ready to, you know, look at their younger options, perhaps. Uh, um, Eric Schalgren's played pretty well with the Marlies, and he's a young guy as well that they brought over from Europe. He's got a 9.23 through seven games with the Marlies. Um, Keith kind of hinted that the, the wall situation is day-to-day right now. They haven't really decided what they're going to do next. Uh, I think I'd probably give him another shot. Um just because the the opportunity is there, they don't really have to to make any significant moves or or change anything around in order to give him that other start. It's not at the expense of anyone else since he's already there or anything like that. So I think he didn't get blown up or, or lit up or anything in his first start. So giving him another look seems like the fair thing. Um, Nick, you had a little update on uh, Rodion Amirov who's skating again, uh, right? Back, not in the lineup yet, but... Um, no, it looks like he might be getting close, though. It's It's been a rough road for Amirov this season, for sure. He's only played three games uh, during the regular season with Ufa so far. His last game was on September 29th, so definitely exciting to see him uh, you know, back healthy and skating again and hopefully back into game action soon. Uh all right, well, we're going to talk about uh, Hockey Hall of Fame. Not much to talk about uh, league-wide. Quick growler's note. They're playing in uh, Conception Bay South now. They got kicked out of their uh, home rink. I think that we mentioned that a little while ago. Still not really sure what's going on there, but uh, they're not booted off the rock yet. So um, they're, they're, they're still kicking uh, just, just out, out of town at the moment. And um, we have... Uh, a COVID update too, as the Senators had a bunch of games postponed today. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, obviously this is still going on. I've always been, I mean, yeah, you can have a lot of, you can have breakthrough cases. That's fine. I'm not suggesting they're fudging the numbers, but I always just thought, geez, there sure are a lot of, uh, guys vaccinated in this league that I didn't really expect to see such a high percentage of guys vaccinated. Um, not suggesting that there's anything afoot. It's just, it seems strange that there's so much COVID activity for a league that's so heavily vaccinated. Yeah. Well, um, you can still contract. Maybe it. they got some, some Evander Kane specials going on out there. I, I don't know. <laughs> Hasn't seemed to be many guys like super symptomatic or anything like that. I guess. Yeah. So, I think it's just about trying to limit the spread. Not so much that it's like making guys uh, incapacitated and unavailable to play or anything like that it, you know the, trying to avoid another vancouver situation yeah, yeah and i think that this, it, it kind of goes back to like i i know that there's been some complaints from guys like why are we testing so much we're all vaccinated and that, that's kind of how you, you get this right but you still like i don't know what the answer is there like you still don't want them spreading it if they've got it and even if they're vaccinated um, but you know, the, I think there is a valid point to that. Newsflash for the guys complaining about the testing: if you want to go to the Olympics this year, testing's not going away. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I did have a little bit of uh, Nova Scotia gossip to to insert on this senators' conversation, though. Um, I've heard, 
so so I, I mean this is not this is not um uh, you know, a rumor, this first part. So, so uh, Drake Batherson is, is one of these who's tested positive for COVID. Um, and I believe that, you know, it was like he, he played in the game. There was a picture of him like celebrating with all of his teammates. And then after the game, it was like, oh, COVID. And it's like, oh, this is this is going to get worse before it gets better now. Um, I heard that Drake Batherson had like a little contingent of Nova Scotians at um, this game where he supposedly tested positive afterwards. <laughs> oh, good. So oh. let's see <laughs> where those numbers go here in the next little bit. We had 99 cases today, which I, I haven't looked, but I assume that's a high in the last, like, you know, 10 to 12 months. Um, so that's that's not great. Not ideal. So we'll see where that goes. Um, the Batherson variant. <laughs> I hope Matt Minglewood was not one of the family. I hope uh, I hope Matt's been spared from that um, that fate. You, you guys know that, right? He's Matt. That's Legend. Matt Minglewood. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, big supporter of Batherson too. Um, so let's let's talk Hall of Fame. As we mentioned, Keith, you were at the Hall of Fame game. Um, Iggy is you know the big name, right? Like Jerome McGinley is the feels like kind of the, there's always your centerpiece usually going in the Hall of Fame, and, and Iggy's yeah. it this year. Um, so I just wanted to open the floor and eat Jerome Aginla thoughts. Um, Iggy, Iggy, Iggy. That's about that's the one. He, he's such a likable player. Yeah, like, yeah, I, like everybody loves yeah, Jerome Aginla. Like, how, how could you not, not like him? Yeah, and, like, and especially for like a guy who was you know a bit of like a, not he was not he definitely wasn't a pass. But he's like, a power forward, like a prototypical power forward. Typically, those are the types of guys that you know, get under people's skin and people opposing fans don't like. And I feel like if I watched Jerome McGinley beat up a leaf, I would like still like it. <laughs> he just, he just, I don't know something about the guy. He was just, all class all the time too, is the other thing, right? Like as hard yeah. as he was to, to play against, and he was kind of the last of a dying breed really, when you think about it, the way that he was able to dominate offensively and play such a physical imposing game. And he he did it with class all the way through. Just a, a player that's impossible to hate. Would you say that he got the biggest pop when the inductees oh, yeah. were introduced? Yeah, yeah, it was noticeable. Like you know, um, it was it was it was really nice. I mean, obviously, a ton of Flames fans just kind of kicking around too. So it was cool that it was against them. Yeah, um, yeah, it feels like it's always like new jersey or something weird so it was nice well, they, was, they usually uh, plan it around whoever i think like the, like i think that wasn't it um i don't know yeah, I it's just always devils getting bring nominated. in yeah it's niedermeyer and <laughs> yeah um, just a, a, a string in a row that i can remember but yeah yeah it would make sense i guess yeah but you're right nick and like you know from a, a guy that would you know score always 30 plus it seemed and get up to close to 50 i think he had 50 a few times yeah and he won a couple of rockets and then still be able to you know break your nose at any given moment like definitely not a lot of those guys still kicking around but i think your question was about individual moments but uh definitely the le cavalier fight i think yeah. is probably the best hockey fight of all time outside of maybe hextall and pot fan just in terms of like the folklore that surrounds it and, yeah. and just the the moment and everything like that. And and I kind of, to me, that was the first time where you were just like, oh man, it's so much better to see two guys like that can actually play hockey in a spirited like fight than just Colton Norton, Frazier McLaren and, you know, that type of shit like that staged shit that, that, yeah, exactly. Like that was, that was the first time I remember kind of 
seeing that. I guess Lindros did it, but I was I wasn't exactly you know watching a ton of those games. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah, just echoing the fact that loved again, obviously. Um, just incredible, like everything you wanted a hockey player to be, basically. Like he he did everything. He was the perfect hockey player, and I, especially that 04 run, holds like a special place for me. I think I've mentioned it before, but this that was kind of where I really became like a hardcore fan. Like I was a Leafs fan, but like at that point, like I watched that whole run. I kind of got on board with that, and I always loved watching again. Like. I would always stay up for like the double feature on hockey night. And, you know, so often it was the flames and it was just always like, I, you know, I realize now, like I was so much more drawn to just Jerome than, than to whoever was playing. Like if it was, if it was Canucks Oilers, I was just that much less likely to watch it. But if it was the flames, like the flames were like almost my second team. And I realized like that was because of Jerome, because I feel like the flames are the team I've slandered the most on this podcast (laughs) in the year plus that we've been doing it. And, And I realized it was all Jerome. Man, I just Iginla was the man. I, he was incredible. You mentioned the Iggy 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 moment. Like everyone remembers that from from that Olympics. I mean the O two Olympics. Like he yeah, scored twice yeah. in that. I always forget that he it's scored twice in that bit. one. The uh, the gold medal game. And I always forget about the um, the story about him uh, putting up the two fans who who he ran into and they were like sleeping in their car or whatever. And he he got them a hotel room. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, in, in Salt Lake and Haley Salvian had a really good piece in the athletic, which you should check out if you haven't um, just talking to a lot of people from his, you know, his career and from his life and, and sharing their Iggy stories. I guess that he's uh, just gotten into the uh, fantasy baseball game. And I guess that he is just hardcore as a manager. <laughs> um, so th- th- that was appreciated. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's a legend, man. Like that, that's uh, that's just a guy who you watched and it's like you know that that's what I want to be and that's you know anyone that I ever have anything to say about uh how, how they play the game like this is the guy I would point to and say this is how you should play like this this is uh he, he's the man he's the man also the guy who the guy who you know had that the most like I got I, easy to root for like cup chase at the yeah. end of his career oh like, yeah like I think he did like a good solid five years of bouncing around um, that's, yeah, I, I kind of like, there's a weird kind of parallel with like him and Matt's to me, where it's just like, they were just such like the face of their team around the same era for, for so long and, and never had that playoff success. And both also never had like a solid line. Mate. I mean, not, I mean, Sundin obviously had some, some decent line mates, but not always. And you look at, you know, what Ginla was able to do with like Damon Lankow and stuff like that. Christian like they, they just, he's yeah. And Tang, like, I don't know. I just not like superstar firepower riding with them um, for the most part. Again, I know there, there was some good players at the Leafs and their, their playoff runs and stuff, but that was always a storyline, right? Like Matt's needs a winger and, and Jerome needs a center and all that stuff. So, the, and, and then obviously the lack of cups, but two guys that are rightfully in the hall of fame. So what um, you're saying is the Leafs should have just traded for Jerome McGinley back in the absolutely. day. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we all could have gone on board with that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just a quick mention, I don't know if you guys want to chime in on any of the other inductees, Marion Hosa, uh, Kim St. Pierre, Kevin Lowe, Doug Wilson. Uh, Hosa was like, man, I, I hated Hosa as a kid when he was on the Senators. And I was just a guy that you grew to respect because of the way he played the game. Like he, he was, you talk about a 200 foot player, like that guy did it 
all over the yeah. ice. And I don't think he got the, the credit for it at the start, but certainly by the end of his career, everyone recognized him as like one of the greatest two-way forwards the game's ever seen. Um, and so talented, too. F- funny, it took a couple of Stanley Cups for him to start getting the recognition that he probably deserved earlier in his career. But yeah, Hosa was outstanding, you know, hated watching him when he was with the Senators and, you know, tearing it up against the Leafs early in his career but yeah to, to watch the way that he grew into such a complete player and, and just a, another really classy guy right all through his career it, it was easy to kind of root for him and get his cups he had that cool run where he, he played in three straight finals with three different teams i, I don't think that's ever been done by anyone else uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, I want to give some stick taps to Kim St. Pierre for sure. I, I think she got a pretty big pop too when the it, she did probably the, the second biggest. I would say yeah. So she's you know a huge part of Canadian women's hockey history. Uh, you know one of the greatest women's goaltenders of all time. She, yeah, beyond deserving uh, of the call to the hall. Yeah, for sure. Kevin Lowe and Doug Wilson didn't get much of a pop because uh, no one who watched them play is still living. Well, and, uh, the the Doug Wilson th- actually Doug Wilson's hair got a pop, but um, <laughs> like from from the eighties. But um, I didn't realize like how off like many goals that guy scored. Like they were rattling off some stats for Doug Wilson about just his place in like Blackhawks defenseman historical scoring records and stuff. And I was that was pretty impressive. I definitely didn't didn't uh i mean i'm not necessarily like a hockey encyclopedia but i definitely kind of know some stuff <laughs> that that surprised me yeah, he's a good player but uh get in in the first 20 years or take a hike yeah. that's my position i fully agree with that man i don't understand hall of fame voting that's another topic though yeah um, did kevin Lowe go in as a player or as like uh you know, a builder executive oh, a player. Kind of thing. Definitely a player. He went in as a player. That's definitely a yeah. player. Yeah. I mean, yeah. did you think he was going to go in as a builder? Well, <laughs> the, the, fair, but like he, he wasn't that awesome when he played either. From what you know, oh. cups, baby. Yeah, cups. I guess, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, yeah, you'd have won some cups and you skated alongside that lineup too. I, I think I tweeted this maybe when he was named uh, all those years ago that he would be inducted is like a two, a two year process for this one. But um, I think it would have been funny if he just, he, he showed up to the, the hall of fame um, like the weekend and realized that like he just, Brian Burke forged because Brian Burke's on the on the selection committee and Brian Burke just forged like a a, um, a, a you know congratulations blah 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 and then he shows up to the address and it's a barn out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> <laughs> and Burke he's just there rolling up his sleeves I already undone pay-per-view boat um, so it, yeah because of this this delayed class like they didn't pick one last year which I kind of forget happened or didn't happen i guess um so it's going to be a double class so good luck uh whoever the next kevin lowe or doug wilson is on getting in because it's (laughs) going to be a while i think maybe before uh one of those gets in i've heard a little bit of buzz for alex mcgillney though which which would be kind of cool but i I don't know if he's getting in this time next year i'm looking at it right now like 2022 eligibility the sedin zetterberg luongo megan duggan there's some there's some players. I think Lou is probably a first ballot. Rick Nash is. I don't, I don't know about Rick Nash, but he's available. He's eligible. That's uh, yeah. It's going to be an interesting class. Yeah, Carolyn Ouellette. Some good names. 
Yeah, big congrats to uh, all of the inductees, uh, except Ken Holland. We we didn't mention him, but uh, <laughs> fuck Ken Holland. Uh, three games at home for the Leafs. They got the the Preds, the Rangers, the Penguins, and then a back to back wraps up after the Penguins game. They've got the Islanders the next day. Um, so we'll probably check in again after that and we'll see what the goaltending situation is like then and I'm sure we'll have more line combos to bitch about. (laughs) 